Good evening. Good to see everyone. God is good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, let's just uh, spend a few seconds in prayer. Father, we thank you, sir. Father, we lay hold of your word, Father, that by the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. We are the healed of the Lord. This body is healthy and whole, and every member of this body is healthy and whole. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He bore our sicknesses, bore our diseases, put them to death, and rose up victorious from them. So, Father, we just lay hold of that, Father. We lay hold of the health, the life that was wrought in the resurrection of Christ, Father. And we declare that there are no sick among us, Father, but that we are healthy, whole, full of life, full of strength, full of vitality, full of ability, Father, to go out and do what you called us to do and be who you called us to be, Father. We receive it. We call it done, 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 done healed, 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 healthy and whole, free of all abnormalities, free of all decay, free, free, free in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for it, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, tonight we are talking about understanding God's will. Understanding God's will when we talk about God's will, we're talking about what God wants, what God desires. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 9, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray. And he says, pray in this way. Pray in this manner. Pray with this mindset. Pray with this heart attitude. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus told us, Jesus instructed us to pray that God's will be done. Jesus was and is very focused on the will of God being done. Jesus, Jesus wanted God's will to be done. He instructed us to pray that God's will be done. We did part of that tonight when we made our confession um, over our nation, but that God's will is done in our nation. So uh, God wants his will to be done. Jesus wants God's will to be done. He wants us to pray that um, God's will be done. God is very concerned about his will being done. And we should have that same heart, that same attitude, that same mindset in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, we're told by the Apostle Paul not to be foolish. And he contrasts being foolish with understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we understand what the will of the Lord is, that is wisdom. <laughs> wisdom comes when we understand the will of the Lord. When we understand the will of the Lord, we're operating in wisdom. When we're operating in wisdom, we're not operating in foolishness. See the contrast that he makes there? So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God wants us to understand what his will is. God's will is the starting point for faith. God's will is the starting point for faith. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, we see an encounter between Abram and God. Abram, whose name would eventually be changed to Abraham, father of many nations or many people groups, but we see an encounter between God and Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country 
and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. So we see that it was God's will for Abram to leave his country. And what did Abram do? Abram left his country, we see in, in verse 4. God told Abram what his will was. He said, I want you to leave your country. And what did Abram do? He, he left his country. He, he acted on what God said. We can't begin to operate in faith until we know the will of God. Where the will of God is known, that's where faith prospers. That's where faith can begin. Without knowing the will of God, without, without having a word from God, we can't operate in faith. Faith is based on a word from God. So whenever we act on the word of God, we're demonstrating faith. Whenever we act on the word of God, we're demonstrating faith. When we get a word from God, whether it's a word through a man or a woman of God or a revelation, something that God shows us in our study time, in our prayer time, God speaks directly to us. When we act on what God says, that is a demonstration of faith. What we are saying by our actions is, God, I believe you. God, I trust you. God, my confidence is in you. And sometimes it's challenging to act on what God says. Sometimes at the very time the word comes to you, uh, fear comes with it to steal the word from you and prevent you from going where God wants you to go, prevent you from doing what God wants you to do, prevent you from moving where God wants you to move. And so what you have to do in that scenario is you have to, James, you have to submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You have to crucify your flesh. And so whether it's the devil directly or just your flesh, um, you stay submitted to God. Even if you have to say, Father, I heard your word. I know what you want me to do. Help me to do it. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more tonight about how God helps you do his will. Because sometimes we need help. Sometimes it's not always easy. And sometimes the flesh would like to rise up to prevent you from being bold, being, being confident and doing what God wants you to do and stepping out where God wants you to step out. But the great thing is that God helps us, is that God equips us to do what he wants us to do. So uh, God, God's will is the starting point for faith. That's, that's how important it is to, to understand and know God's will and to have this mindset and this attitude of, I want God's will to be first in my life, okay? So by Abram acting on the word, he demonstrated faith. We demonstrate faith when we act on God's word. In Hebrews, we're told that Noah demonstrated faith because he moved when God told him what was coming and he prepared an ark. So whenever we prepare, it's a demonstration of faith. It's, it's saying in that action of preparation that I receive. I receive, God, what you just said to me. And because I know it's coming, I'm going to make a place for it. So again, acting on God's word, preparing, it's a demonstration of faith. But we have to know what God wants from us. We have to know God's will. And we have to want to know God's will. Some people don't want to know God's will because then they don't want to be accountable for God's will. So don't tell me anything. Just leave me alone. Um, but we have, to, we have to will to do the will of God. We have, to, we have to want to do the will of God. Jesus said, he who wills to do the will of my Father shall cons know concerning the scripture whether or not the things I'm speaking are true. People who have a heart to do God's will, they are going to understand God's will. One of the greatest questions you can ask yourself is, what does God want? What does God want? I know what I want. What does God want? What does he want in the earth? What does he want from me? What does he want in my marriage? What's God's will for my marriage? 
Now, the participants of the marriage may have their own agendas and their own will, but the bottom line thing is, what does God want? And that's a question that every husband and every wife should ask. What does God want? A husband and a wife that are both intent on doing God's will will find themselves in disagreement less. Because they are intent on agreeing on what God said. And wherever, wherever either one of them is not in line or one with what God said because they have a heart to want to whenever they hear, you know what? Yep, that's God right there. The other part was just me, was just my flesh, but yep, that's God. And so if the wife says, you know what? Uh, God is, this is, this, this, this is where I'm sensing, sensing God. Um, the husband says, well, I hadn't really thought about sensing God. I just wanted it. Um, so but because the husband is willing to do the will of the father, he says, yes, yes. I need to get my mind to that place of what, of what God wants and vice versa. Um, God's will, God's word tends to cut through emotion. So we can, in marriage, we can get very emotional about things in terms of what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. But God's word has a tendency to cut through all of that um, and really silence arguments. Um, we're told, uh, where, do, where do arguments come from among you? I believe it's in the book of James. Do they not come from the desires that war within your flesh? You want, you want, you want. So whenever you're in a place in your marriage where it's all about you and what you want and what your flesh wants and what you desire, um, that's no good. But whenever the two who have become one are intent on doing the will of God, then that cuts through conflict. That cuts through argument because the peace of God is there. The spirit of God is there because there's now unity. The two have become one. And so having one will, having one mind, and that mind being the mind of Christ, that mind being uh, the mind of God and the will of God, you'll find peace in that marriage. You'll find peace in that household. This applies to the church. The reason there are factions and arguments and disagreements and people getting their feelings hurt in the church is because of a differing of wills. It's feelings. It's, it's emotions. Um, the reason that there's conflict, um, because there's selfishness involved. You look at, you, 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 you look at a family, you look at a household, uh, the wife, the husband, the kids, um, everybody wants their own thing. Um, I want this, I want this, and uh, no one's asking what does God want. No one's asking what the will of God is in this situation. So whenever we have the mindset of doing God's will, then there is peace there. There is unity there. So that's one of the greatest questions that we can ask ourselves, and that is, what does, what does God want? What does he want in my family? What does he want in my finances? What does he want in my body, etc.? What does, what does God want? In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you to what? To will. That means to want to. And we said earlier that God will work in you to want his will. Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we say, 
I want what I want. God, I know I should want this, but I don't want that. My flesh doesn't want that. My flesh wants this. I had this vision for my life. I had everything mapped out, God. I had everything planned out. I've been working for decades to get to this point. And now you're showing me your will. And that's hard for me, God. So what do I do? God's word to you is, don't worry about it. I'm working in you to want, to want what I want. Verse 13 says, he's at work in you to will, to want to. Some people say, Brian, I don't have the want to. And God says, I will give you the want to. I will give you the will to do it. Just trust me. Be honest with me and say, God, help me. I want to do what you want, but I need some help. God will say, I'm at work in you to will, to want to, and to do it. Some people say, I don't want to. Some people say, I want to, but it's hard for me to. God said, in both cases, I'm on the scene. In both cases, I'm there to give you the desire and then to empower you, enable you, and strengthen you to do it. So God is at work in us to will his will, to want his will, and to do his will. Before you came to Christ, before you were born again, you had a will. And because the Holy Spirit was not bothering you, you did what you want, when you wanted it, and didn't think twice about it as long as you were okay with it. You didn't have anyone else's will to contend with. It was just you. So you did what you felt like doing. You did what you wanted to do. But you get born again. Now that you're born again, you've got someone else's will to contend with. God's will. So now we've got two wills here. We have the will of the old man or the will of the flesh. And we have the will of God, which the new man delights in, but the old man can't stand. The new man delights in the will of God. The new you in Christ delights in the will of God. The old part of you um, doesn't really care too much for doing things God's way. The flesh doesn't really care too much for that. So when people get born again, sometimes you have these two competing wills. In Galatians, Galatians chapter, well, I've lost my space. Anyway, if one of you um, remember the verse, tell me, but I know what it says. Um, the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit, and these two are in opposition with one another, so you don't do what your new man delights in doing. So you have the spirit, who is God. You have the flesh, who is the old man. These two are in opposition with one another. You have two competing wills. And thank you, Galatians 5, 17, 16, 16. We'll read 16 and 17. We'll start at verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. That old man, that old will, its desire is against the Spirit. It wants things that God does not want. I've got a little daughter, and sometimes she wants things that I do not want for her. And sometimes she will nag at me to get it. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. Why does she do that? Because 
she has not grown up yet to understand what's best for her and to understand the mind of the father. Okay, so she wants what she wants when she wants it. And um, it's not necessarily my will for her. So verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. You please to do the will of God. Well, Brian, is it talking about the things that the new man pleases or the things the old man pleases? Well, let's read it in context. The writer of this letter to the church at Galatia is the Apostle Paul. And the same writer who wrote a letter to the church at Rome in the book of Romans, he had the same sentiment. And that is that inwardly, in my inward man, I delight in the law of the Lord. But I find another law at work in me that's trying to keep me from doing what I know I should do. And I acknowledge that if I want to do the will of God, and there's something in me that is pulling me another way, that it's no longer I who's doing it, but sin within me. So I want to do, I delight in the will of God. I want to do what pleases God. And so if we look at the writer and the author and how he typically writes, then that's where I'm saying here that the things that uh, you may not do the things that you please is that you please to do the spirit. You want the new man in you wants to do the will of God. But the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another. Brian, how do I get out of that dilemma? The good news is that Christ got you out. Amen. That's the good news. Paul said, who's going to save me from this dilemma? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So now because of what Jesus did, God is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So competing wills. It's God's will that you and he be aligned such that his will becomes your will. In John chapter 4, And verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what, is, what does food do for us? Food, food nourishes. Um, it energizes. Um, food also satisfies. When you're hungry, you know, Snickers used to have a commercial that it satisfies, satisfy your hunger. But uh, food, food, fills you up. It, it, it satisfies you. It, it's fulfilling. Um, it nourishes. It does, it does all, of, all of those things. And Jesus says, my satisfaction, my nourishment, my food is to do the will of God. That's my food. My, I get my satisfaction from doing the will of God. And that's one of the benefits of having this Mindset focused on what does God want, asking myself what does God want, and then pursuing that, is that it's, it, it, le it leads to a satisfying life. It leads to a fulfilling life. It's, it's beyond just a surface life. You know, a surface life where people have a lot of things, but they're not fulfilled. They got a big house, big cars, a lot of money, know a lot of people, very popular, have a lot of power, but if you sit them down and talk to them and really drill in, uh, they're not happy. 
They're not fulfilled. They're not satisfied. Um, why? Because the true satis satisfaction is in the will of God. That's where, that's where, that's, that's, that's my food. That should be our food. So the believer, especially, who um, is not intent on doing God's will and finds themselves um, doing things their way um, while God loves them, while God's grace and God's mercy is abundantly available to them, while God is always working with them, many times they find themselves in an uncomfortable situation because they've spent so much time accumulating what they want that they never really entered into what God wants. So food, the food of God's will is very satisfying and leads to a very satisfying and a very fulfilled life. You know, the Apostle Paul said, when I leave here, when I leave earth, I want to be able to say I finished my course. That would be satisfying to me, to be able to say I finished my course. I ran my race. I didn't run someone else's race. I finished my course, and I'm fulfilled. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. And so that's what God wants us to be able to say as well, that we have become satisfied with what God wants. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus is in the garden, and he's struggling. He's struggling with um, what his flesh wants and what he knows God wants. And he says, Father, if there's any way possible here um, to remove what I know is about to come, to remove this suffering that's coming, this cup, the cup of suffering from me, I would love for that to be the case. But if there isn't, I'm more intent on doing your will than satisfying my flesh. So that was, that was his mindset. Uh, he, was, he was very honest. And you see other accounts where you see Jesus being very honest. This is our Lord and Savior, Redeemer, in, in, the, in the earth, being very honest, being very vulnerable, saying, hey, just in case I miss something. He didn't miss anything, but I'm being facetious a little bit. But just in case I miss something in the plan, there's a loophole here somewhere. And we can go another way with this here. God, I'm down. I am down with it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because we can't have competing wills. I got my will. If I, had, if I, did, had, if I did it my way, I wouldn't go through with this. But because I'm so intent on doing things your way and doing your will, um, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm ready, I'm ready to do it. So he was, Jesus was very honest, very real, very transparent. He allows us to see that. And he says, basically, God, help here. Give me, give me some, I, I want to do your will. This is hard. You want me to make this change here. You want me to do this thing here, and it's very hard on my flesh. God, help. I'm very vulnerable here. Help. And then we see God's response in verse 43. Now an angel from heaven appeared, strengthening him. That's consistent with Philippians chapter uh, 2, verse 12 through verse 13, that we can work it out if he's working in us. We can work it out if he's working in us. 
work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. That means to work it out, understanding the grandeur of God, the awesomeness of God, and being in awe of who he is. It does not mean to be afraid of him. How do we know that? Because in 1 John, we're told that perfect love cast out fear. What does that mean? It means the perfect love of God in our hearts prevents us from being afraid of him anymore. In the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, they were afraid of God. They said, we don't want to go to the mountain. Moses, you go for us. Why? Because there was thunder and lightning. Um, in the Old Testament, under the law, people were dying for doing things that they shouldn't do. People were afraid of God. Christ shows up on the scene the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Perfect love of God cast out fear. No longer afraid of God. No longer afraid of him. Why? Because his perfect love that he showed me. He showed me his perfect love in Christ. He showed you his perfect love in Christ, and that love drives out all fear. Basically, that love says from God to you, I'm on your side that I'm with you, that I live on the inside of you through my spirit, so you should not be afraid of me. So when we talk about working out your salvation in fear and trembling, it's not, it's not in a dreadful fear of God. It's in an awesome respect and allness of who he is as God and him being so awesome that he's willing to come live on the inside of me because he's washed me and cleansed me by the blood of his son. So we see the angel come down and he strengthens Jesus. He strengthens them. Why? Not because Jesus felt up to it, but Jesus was honest. He was vulnerable. He said his heart was in the right place. He wanted God's will. His struggle was not wanting it, his struggle was executing it. And so God, by his grace, kept them in play. The angel came, well, Brian, he's Jesus. He doesn't need anything. Why would an angel come down to strengthen him if he did not need strength? You have to understand that he came down and he became a man. And so... The angel strengthened him to do, to carry through his mission, to carry through his assignment. You may have an assignment that you find difficult. You may have something, one thing or many things or an entire life plan that God has told you to do. And it may be hard for you to do it. You may sense God telling you to make a shift make a change, and you're struggling with how to do it and what to do and doing it because you know what it's going to mean. You know what that's going to entail, and uh, it's challenging to your flesh. So then what do you do? You trust God. You ask God for help. You receive God's help. You receive God's grace to do it. What is grace? Grace is God's ability on your inability. By the grace of God that um, I've been able to do some of the things that I've done in my life. It's just by the grace of God. It's not, it's not me. I am what I am by the grace of God. Anything good that you see in me, it's by the grace of God. I would love to, my flesh would love to take credit for it, but I am what I am, and I do what I do by the grace of God. You are what you are. You do what you do by the grace of God. You need, you need God's grace. It's through God's grace that you're able to reign in life, that you're able to reign in the earth. He who receives an abundance of grace will reign in life through Christ Jesus. How do you reign? You reign not by your own strength and ability, but you reign by the abundance of grace that is flowing through your life, flowing through your spirit, flowing through your mind, flowing through your body. It's the abundance of grace, not your own personal strength or the strength of the flesh. So these two competing wills, one has to be put down so the other can come to the forefront. 
the will of the old man has to be put down so the will of God can come to the forefront. And God will help you do that. Um, you do have to cooperate with God, but God's going to help you to cooperate. And that's good news. At least I think it is. The more you are aligned with the will of God, the less stress you will experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. We have the peace of God. And, and so I don't want to seem to um, downplay that at all. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that if, um, if God tells you to go right and you're, you, you're intent on going left, and you're actively working on going left, that there may be some discomfort there. If God has carved you out to be a businessman, and you are working intently on being a teacher, there could be some stress there. The stress does not come from God. Only peace comes from God. Jesus said, I gave you my peace. So the Stress does not come from God. The stress does not come from Jesus. The stress does not come from your covenant, your new covenant. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to give you stress. The stress can come from trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Trying to put a square peg in a round hole. I found out that even in those instances, God's grace is still there working with you to get you back into what he created you for and what he called you to do and what he told you to do. But I'd be remiss to say that there may not be times where you feel some stress and discomfort because you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. So there is some, some people say, Brian, how do I know God speaking to me? How do I know the voice of God? Well, there's a couple of ways you know, but one way is peace. Do you have peace in your spirit with where you are? Some believers who don't have peace, they get agitated, and that's, that, that's, that's what I mean by this stress, this discomfort, whatever word you want to use. They get agitated, and that agitation moves them to do what they know God's called them to do. Because they aren't quite, they aren't quite, things aren't quite right. Um, it's like a six-cylinder car trying to operate on five cylinders. It'll run, but it won't run quite right. If another cylinder goes out and you have a, a six-cylinder car operating on four cylinders, it'll run, but it'll misfire all the way down the freeway. It's moving, but it's not operating as efficiently as it was designed to operate. You were designed to operate efficiently, but you'll find that if you're actively intent on pursuing a path or pursuing an action that is... Um, not where God has called you to be, not what God has called you to do. Maybe you're trying to do what everybody else does. Maybe you're trying to emulate. Maybe you're trying to be what daddy or mama um, said you were going to be or what, you know, um, elder, whoever said, you know, um, uh, people can call you. And we're going to talk about that here in the last few minutes as, as well. But um, the more we are aligned with the will of God, um, the less agitation um, we, will, we will experience. And the more effective you will become in demonstrating God's will in the earth. When you are where God 
wants you to be. The more fulfillment, and sad, I did not say the more in line you are in the will of God, the more God will love you. I did not, I did not say that. God is only interested in your will in the context of his will. God is only interested in your will in the context of, of his will. Now, God is in heaven. You are on the earth. There are certain things that you need on the earth that God does not need in heaven. So because of that, there are certain things you're going to want that God doesn't want in heaven because he doesn't need them in heaven. So there are certain things that you're going to want that God's going to be fine with as long as they're in the context of his bigger will. Some people say, well, would God have that kind of car? Well, he's not on the earth. He doesn't need a car. So, but if he was on the earth, God would drive a kingdom car, a car that represents his kingdom. Uh, whatever, that, whatever that is, that could be a lot of things. But God would drive a car that would, that would represent his, his kingdom. So for me to have a car that represents his kingdom, uh, the way he reveals his kingdom to me, um, that's okay. That's okay, but God is only interested in your will in the context of his own will. God is not interested in your will to hate someone because it conflicts with his will to love them. You see that? So God is only interested in your will when it's in the context of his will. God's not interested in your will to hate someone because it conflicts with his will to love them. God's not interested in your will to hold a grudge because he wills to forgive them. So now I want to hold a grudge God wants to forgive them. Now you've got two competing wills. God's not interested in your will if that's your will. If your will is to hold a grudge, God's not interested in that. That's not part of God's agenda. God's agenda is to forgive them. If your will is to hate someone, well, I hate them. You don't know what they did. I hate them. Well, God's not interested in that. He's not interested in your will in that case. Now, I did not say that God was not interested in you. Just said that God's not interested in your will at that moment. So God is only interested in your will in the context of his will. So how do we know God's will? How do we, how do we, how do we know God's will? And there's a, there's a couple of way that we, ways that we can know um, God's will. Um, one way is by his spirit. You know, the Bible says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. I'm going to say that again. The spirit himself, meaning the Holy Spirit, the spirit himself bears witness, testifies with our spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. The spirit side of us, the Holy Spirit bears witness with that. That means that he testifies to our spirit. He's the one that convinces us and convicts us that we are sons of God. He's the one that gives us the confidence that we're sons of God. He's the one that allows us to know through and through, through and through, through and through that we belong to God. That's where that conviction comes from. So the same way that the spirit convinces us that we're sons of God, it's the same way the Spirit convinces us of any other part of God's will, the confidence that comes. You know through and through. You know through and through. Feelings, thoughts, conscience, that stuff goes back and forth. One, way, one day you feel like doing it, another way you don't. One month God called you to do this, the next month God called you to do this. One day God called you to do this, the next day God called you to do this. There's no consistency there. Why? Because emotions, feelings, consciousness, they tend to go back and forth. What has to be done is those emotions, those feelings, that consciousness has to get anchored somewhere. It has to get anchored into 
the Spirit of God. So that those feelings get wrapped around the Spirit of God. So now the feelings that you have, although feelings are not bad, they just need to be submitted to the right source. Okay? So, but the Spirit of God, He can convince you through and through of what you're called to do, so that even if you don't feel like doing it, or if thoughts come like, am I, am I really in the right place? The Spirit of God will allow you to bypass that and say, remind you, yes, through and through, this is where I placed you, this is what I called you to do, this is what I spoke to you about. So the Spirit of God, um, the voice of God speaking to you, dealing with you, um, His Word, His Word, um, by understanding His Word, knowing His Word, reading His Word, we can see God's will. And we're going to take a look at a few scriptures um, in the last few minutes here that speak directly to God's will. But um, his, his will, his word is his will. His will is his word. So knowing his word, we can, we can know his will. We already talked about peace. Do you have peace about that? Now, I will say this because I like to put everything in context. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Now, if you are, there can be some conflict when God is trying to separate you from something. And you say, Brian, I think God told me to do this. I believe God told me to this, do this, but I've got some internal conflict. I don't have peace. The question you have to ask yourself, is that internal conflict coming from your spirit or is it coming from your consciousness, your feelings, and your thoughts? Is it coming from your flesh? Because if God tells you to do something, sometimes your flesh will go tilt. Tilt, tilt, tilt. Your consciousness, your thoughts will go tilt because they can't comprehend what God just told you to do or the direction that God's moving you in. And if that's the source of your turmoil, that's okay, because your feelings might go tilt when God says, give this amount. And you're like, what? What, what did you just say? That's my feelings. That's God didn't, God, God didn't say that. I got, I got some turmoil about that, about this decision. God wants me to give this and do this. I got, got some conflict here. And you'll find that if you can get to a place of prayer. Uh, prayer has a way of preventing you from entering in to something God doesn't want you to enter into. That's why Jesus said pray. When he was in the garden, he was struggling. He told his disciples, pray that you don't enter into temptation. The temptation to do what? The temptation to not go along with what God told you to go along with. Prayer has a way, if you can find a way to prayer, prayer has a way to silencing your flesh your emotions, your consciousness, and allowing the bigger part of you where the Spirit of God dwells to take ascension and allow those emotions to be anchored in Him to where now you're thinking the right way, okay? So um, the people God has put in your life. So the people God's put in your life, not the people who have inserted themselves in your life, but the people that God has put in your life, uh, can be a source of hearing God's voice, of understanding God's will and what, uh, what God wants to do in and through you. And so uh, if there are people that you recognize God has put in your life, uh, listen, and listen to all of them because there's safety in the counsel of many. So, um, you know, um, Judas says something, you know, and that's a, that, that could be a piece, and then... Canard says something, and that could be another piece. And then Jerry may have another piece. One person may not have the full picture, but if God has put a few key strategic people in your life, he can use them to bring the full picture about. Okay? So this person may have a slice. That person may have a slice. But God begins to show you and paint a picture of where he's taking you. Okay? Um, so I want to take a look at a few scriptures, and then we'll be done. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
verse 18. Again, we're talking about how do you know what God's will is. 5, verse 18, 1 Thessalonians, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Isn't that simple? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. So no matter what's going on in your life, don't stop thanking God. Don't stop thanksgiving. Don't stop thanking God. You don't thank God for the mess that's going on. You thank God in the midst of the mess. You say, Father, I thank you that by the stripes of Jesus Christ I'm healed. I thank you that by your uh, grace and by your strength I can do all things. Father, I thank you that I've been redeemed. I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that you supply all my need according to the living standard of heaven. Father, I thank you for my family. Father, I thank just everything, every good thing that God has done. You begin, you just, you just continue to thank God, thank God, thank God. Um, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. So it's the will of God for you to give thanks. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 3, for this is the will of God. It's about to tell you what the will of God is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. So part of God's will um, is that we abstain from sexual immorality. That's, for this is the will of God. That's pretty simple. This is, this is the will of God that we are able to operate in self-control and uh, possess our vessels in honor. That's the will of God. Well, Brian, I thought you just said that Thanksgiving was the will of God. Well, that's the will of God, too. This is the will of God as well. Let's take a look at some more of the will of God. Um, John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the, Father has, all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, here it is, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. Here we go again. He's about to tell us what the will of God is. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up at the last day. You are not going to be lost. You have been given to Jesus. God has brought you to Jesus. Jesus said before he was crucified, he said, I've lost none of the disciples that you've given me except one, and I had to lose him because Scripture had him confined to perdition. Everyone else, I've not lost. But well, that's a bold statement, consider Peter. But he saw Peter's future. And he says, I've not lost him. He says, Satan has decided to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you, you in like Flynn. He's not going to lose you. It's not God's will for a person to become a believer and then be lost. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not going to happen. God, if a person becomes a believer, you are birthed by the will of God. The Bible says that a believer has been birthed by the will of God, not the will of the flesh. God, despite what you think, I came to Jesus. I found my way. God brought you to Jesus. God introduced you. And he's not going to lose you. And so it's God's will for you to always be in Christ. He's not going to lose you, but you will be raised up at the last day. You are, you are in him. You are secure in Christ. And I'm not going to get into a whole, a whole, whole other teaching because I don't have time, but you are secure in Christ. John chapter 6, 
and verse 28. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? They said, what do we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. He's about to tell us. This is the work of God. Go out, get a rake, and work real hard, pull up some weeds. No, okay, this is the work of God. Pray four times a day. Make sure you give your tithes. Make sure you come to church. Make sure you don't talk about the pastor behind his back, and you'll be doing the work of God. Oh, this is the work of God. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't go to the movies. Uh, help people across the street. Volunteer. Give to the poor. Don't have anything nice. That's the will of that's that's the work of God. That's the work of God. Okay, no, no, that's it. That's not it. Okay, the work of God is go out, preach the gospel. Go to as many countries as you can. Go to as many cities as you can. Teach people. Witness to everyone you come across to. That's the work of God. I'm doing the work of God. That's not what this verse says. This verse says the work is to believe. Well, Brian, that sounds too simple. Doesn't it say that? This is the work of God that you believe that you believe. It's amazing to find that a person who spends a year working and a person who spends a moment believing can have the same results. That believing can accomplish what working can. Believing on him. So the work of God is to believe in whom he is sent. That's the work of God. So many people work for righteousness. God imputes it based on faith. Believe on him. That covers you spent 70, 80, 90 years trying to earn God's favor, working. I got it in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, by believing. Believe on him. Believe on him. That is, that is the work of God. You striving and working, believe. And when you believe on him, He's going to work in you his will. He's going to work through you. He's going to minister through you. Believe him. Trust him. Cooperate with him, yes. But your cooperation is based on his strength, his grace, and him working in you. And then lastly, well, it's not lastly, but I'm going to make it lastly. Lastly, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, how? By the will of God. Paul uses this introduction in many of his letters. Paul said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm a businessman by the will of God. I'm a stay-at-home mom by the will of God. I'm a teacher by the will of God. I'm an architect by the will of God. I'm an engineer by the will of God. I'm a prophet by the will of God. No one calls themselves. No one takes this honor upon themselves. They must be called of God. So be what you are by the will of God. No man could call Paul to be an apostle. Paul said... Paul didn't say, I'm an apostle by the will of man. He said, Paul called by the will of God. So allow yourself to be what you are by the will of God. Allow yourself to do what you do by the will of God. Not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We are done for the night. I trust that you are blessed and that the word of God ministered to you and brought some revelation and things to light. If there's nothing else, uh, stand. 
and we'll dismiss. Father, I just speak a blessing over your family right now. And that is that they are blessed already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, I declare and decree and agree with you that your will is becoming alive in them, in their spirits and in their minds, greater and greater and greater measure, and that you are at work in them both to will, to want to, to desire your will, and also to perform and execute what it is that you want done in the earth. So as they leave here, as they go out this week, I declare that this word is sealed in their spirit, and it grows, becomes bigger, and they are changed because, because of it, and they experience you and your blessings in a greater way, in a greater measure, because of your word being active in their life, Father. Thank you, sir. You are dismissed.